1: From the Fox News Podcast Network, I'm Dana Perino, and everything will be okay. Hello, and welcome back. Last week, we spoke to Grammy-nominated songwriter and author Amy Mayo. Amy is a legend in country music and truly does help bring joy to others through the lyrics— in her music and her infectious spirit, not to mention her incredibly adorable accent. This week, I spoke with someone who was teaching people how to bring more liveliness to their lives while also combating stress. Finding serenity can be difficult. There are so many things that can block us from getting to that state when we're natural worriers. Sometimes it feels it's you against the world instead of you with the world. Samantha Boardman is a New York-based clinical psychiatrist and an attending psychiatrist at Weill Cornell Medical College, the founder of PositivePrescription.com, a website devoted to making tweaks and changes that are life-enhancing, and resilience building by combining conventional medicine and psychiatry with positive psychology. She is also the author of Everyday Vitality, Turning Stress into Strength. Samantha, welcome to this limited series podcast, which I call limited because I don't know how long I'm going to be able to keep doing it, Um, which actually is something that I think was really useful that I learned from your book, which I loved. Um, Everyday Vitality, Turning Stress into Strength. And what a great time for this book to come out. Did you know the
0: timing was going to be this perfect for your audience? Absolutely not. And thank you. I'm so happy to be here and to chat with you. You know, I had no idea it was one of those moments where procrastination paid off. And so this book was sort of began about five years ago and I was able to finish it about, you know, a year and a half ago. And and so I I really sort of I think it it comes at at the right moment, but it was not planned to be that way.
1: So tell me a little bit about how you came up with all of these ideas and i'm going to go through a few of them that i loved because i thought the book was fantastic um i was fortunate to have an early copy and i i dog-eared so many pages that after a while it became ridiculous i thought i'm just gonna have to reread the whole thing um (laughs) but the idea of everyday vitality if you could give a snapshot for listeners for how you came up with that title
0: Sure. You know, I felt like vitality is something that we don't really think about enough in the context of our everyday well-being. And it's a word that gets thrown around and people have sort of different meanings attached to it, but I really think it's central to our everyday well-being. And here's the reason that it's so important it is that it's that sense of psychological and physical health that makes you sort of ready for anything, that positive experience of aliveness and energy that really helps you manage the everyday stressors and hassles and just challenges that everybody's facing. I liked in particular the section about uplifts, if you could tell Mm. people what that is. Well, uplifts are the exact opposite of hassles. I don't think we need a definition for hassles, but uplifts are those sort of positive moments in one's day that just kind of make you feel strong. And it can be Something, it's like where positive emotion just flows, like a positive connection with somebody, a moment of gratitude, seeing something beautiful, witnessing, bearing witness to something beautiful. Those little things that actually are so important and create this balance for all the hassles in our lives. And especially right now, there's actually even more research that's been coming out showing how these uplifts really create this, like they promote coping and better decision making in the face of everyday stress. And there's this real like protective role of uplifts in our everyday lives. And, you know, I think our brains were so good at fixating on the negative and focusing on what's wrong. So we have to be much more deliberate about seeking uplifts and actually kind of making sure that they register and clocking them. One way, you know, for the listeners to even think about that is they, they stay with us more when we share them with somebody else, um, but so I think we have to just kind of be intentional in seeking uplifts and generating uplifts in our everyday lives, and it will, can really protect us from a lot of the stress we're experiencing.
1: Um, so I was saying when I was reading it, I have a new, well, it doesn't, it's not that new anymore, but relatively new show with Bill Hemmer, my co-host, mm-hmm. and for America's Newsroom, and he does something regularly throughout the day that I think of as like consciously creating uplifts for other people, but possibly even for himself as well. He's always asking like, you good kid? Everything good kid? He calls everyone kid, which I think is cute. Mm. And it's it's always a fist bump, like everything good, like in the commercial break. And I don't know if he realizes that he's doing that, but I find that like, yep, we're good. Like even if we've had hard days and of course covering the news is often, you know, the news is not always positive. (laughs) In fact, it Mm -hmm. usually isn't. And I find that he, I don't know if he's doing it consciously, but I do think that we can do this consciously for ourselves. And I'll just give you one example. There was this time in New York where I was just feeling very much like, you know, you can get in your bubble and you're in a, and you're so busy and your job is uh, overwhelming and you're just like so focused on yourself and so inward. Mm. And I recognized this in myself at one point. I thought, I don't even like myself when I'm this way. And I, Decided I was st- going to start doing something as a um, little bit of a habit that I would try. So, what I'm from the Midwest, and when I came to New York at first, I, and I knew all the stereotypes of people being very cold and in a rush in, in the city. That's actually not true, um, but I found myself getting to be a little bit that way. So, what I would do is I would try to purposely make eye contact or say hello to somebody who didn't expect it or a good morning. Oh, I love so, that. like, Um, like some, if you're walking by and let's say somebody was washing a window, getting their store ready for the day, like good morning and just kind of surprising them. (laughs) And sometimes, I mean, usually you get a good morning back, but I love that little bit of surprise. And I realized over time that the more I do that and try to project outward uplifts, the better I felt. So in a way it was kind of selfish.
0: I mean, you are everyday vitality, you know, because thats I mean, there's so much of that. And I think it is in that generosity of spirit and that sharing. And so what you're doing, actually, and just, just we break it down, when you are making those sort of you have those little micro moments with people and they're surprised, A and B, it's like this positive moment. And even those little exchanges of connection with somebody, a stranger, even. There's, you know, research to show that it actually can like boost our mood, even moving forward for several hours later throughout the day. So not only is this helping probably that other person, you know, feel better and somehow more connected, but it's also going to probably stay with you like that. And when we're also we have that other orientation and that outer orientation, it can really kind of help protect us from what you were describing earlier, that kind of tunnel tunneling into ourselves and retreating. And especially that's what we tend to do when we're really stressed out is, you know, think that it's all got to be about self-focus, self-immersion. And it's actually when we can override that, that we're going to feel much better.
1: It's okay. This is going to be kind of it's kind of a silly story, but. As you were talking, I remembered this one instance of a couple of years ago heading down after the show at six o'clock, and I was gonna take the subway home. And I got down there and I had my earphones in already. And this other guy, he was younger than me, he had his earphones in, and we're just standing on the platform and we're both just staring down at the tracks, and this huge rat. Starts walking across the tracks, <laughs> and he and I um both backed up at the same time, and then we looked at each other, we both started laughing, and we didn 't actually say anything to each other but it 's so funny that I think about that all the time as like one of my little favorite moments in New York of like solidarity of like oh well, there 's the rat on the
0: subway track. <laughs> That's such a, like a share, like a New York moment. But it is that that shared moment. And actually, like when we are looking at our phones, we're constantly missing these moments, yeah. you know, to share yep. with somebody else. Yeah. And even strangers, loved ones. And there's even research around this. That if two people are sitting next to each other and one is distracted. And they're given the same piece of chocolate, it tastes less good when the other person when you when you're not like doing it together. And so oh, every wow. time we're
1: That's I'm a good reason to put your phone defense. down
0: if you get chocolate. Yes. <laughs> and actually like, in food, it tastes better. You know, I think on the phone will taste better. And so those, you know, phones are classic examples, but I also think when we're just sort of tunneling into ourselves and sort of getting super self-absorbed, that we we miss these moments of connections in spontaneous ones, the rat, you know, or whatever that can at least <laughs> a make you smile. And moments. And those are genuine uplifts in our everyday mm-hmm. lives, you know, and they can actually help us manage then a lot of those other hassles that are just getting thrown at us and that we just can't control.
1: There's another little one that I've tried. And um, so where I spend a lot of the weekends down on the Jersey shore, there's a like a three mile loop that I like to do. But off it, a loop is maybe too strong. It's down one street and back. and mm-hmm. But at the end of the street, we, before you turn around, there's a telephone pole at the dead end. And I started this tradition. I'm like, you have to touch the telephone pole before you can turn around. And I have this girlfriend who walks with me and she almost refuses to touch the pole because she thinks it's, it's like really silly and ridiculous. But lately she's been humoring me. And like, and I thought, you know, this is just like a little tradition of an uplift. That it has nothing it also, to do with ritual. something we bought. But yeah, okay, so tell me a little bit about that in terms of rituals, either for your family or your friends. Because one of the things you write about is that vitality has to be created with intent.
0: Yes, I mean it's just otherwise, you know, we tend to sort of miss these moments and miss these opportunities. And and actually, what you're doing with your your you know tapping that pole, there is intent around that, and you're you're going to reap the benefits of sort of having that moment of fun, of shared fun. Also, like what you're doing when you're walking with your friend, that that is even probably just the, the shared experience of being with that other person. I mean, our our friendships are really based on interwoven memories right and like sort of connections and experiences together and so when you're you're walking together you're talking and people who actually exercise in a a, with others in some community way like if they're on a team or they do some sort of shared activity they're actually more they have fewer mental health days each month they have greater life satisfaction and they even live longer so i think that again it goes obviously we know it's important to exercise, but it's even better when we do it with somebody else. And mm-hmm. I think when we're intentional intentional about it, and also you're much less likely to flake when, you know, you know, your friend's waiting for you. You know, I think sometimes yes. we need others to kind of boost us in, in that direction. You and write about you might that be by with yourself, you wouldn't. You write about that with your walks in Central Park hmm. Yes. Yeah, very much. Girlfriend. so. I have a friend I would fake. I would flake all the time if I, if I knew she wasn't going to sort of be tapping her watch. And she's probably thinking the same thing. And I know she is actually. But it's actually, you know, and it's sort of Groundhog Day, which is so interesting about our brains, like even things that we know make us feel better. We often just don't do them. And yeah, it's not why that is we don't that have the information? I just think we want that immediate gratification, that Mm. shortcut that's going to almost be, I think I call them like vampires of vitality because like these things that sort of, they look like uplifts, but they're not, you know, it's sort of like, oh, I'm just going to sort of be a couch potato all weekend. I'm going to watch tons of movies. I'm going to, you know, get to the bottom of that bucket of ice cream, but they, they're actually more depleting. And so how do you get yourself to do the thing that you want to do? You know, A, make it easier for yourself, B, engage a friend and C, make it fun.
1: Yeah, so the, I should mention the, the girlfriend that um, I walk with her name's Lauren Fritz. And it's been fun. She's 10 years younger than me. And it's been fun to watch her career grow. Um, mm. And, you know, through all the ups and downs, but the, the, you know, those friendships, I think that what you're saying makes so much sense to a lot of people, because one of the things you're talking about is not you write about not living on autoplay. Yes. And I wanted to ask you about when you talk about the brain, because you are a psychiatrist, you understand medicine, you understand what's going on with the chemical releases in our brain. You know, and I'm concerned about that research that shows that every time you uh, try to refresh your phone and you scroll or you swipe left or right, like you're getting a little rush of something in your
0: brain. Yeah, well, I think those are almost like, again, they're like vampires of vitality because you've got this immediate rush of something positive and maybe it feels good and how many likes did I get? Or, you know, who retweeted that? Or, Mm -hmm. you know, did somebody you know comment here? But it's so fleeting and it's one of those, it's almost like cotton candy for the soul. You know, it's not going to, it doesn't stay with us. There's no um, sustainability in that uplift. And so that's why, I mean, like you do have to be deliberate about finding these uplifts and implementing them in your everyday life but the good news is they're not expensive like these aren't something you need to go and even download or or buy or you don't need to like sort of retreat and go and find yourself and eat pray love your way to well-being and, and vitality but they're just little sort of I think efforts you can put in gestures you can put in your everyday life to be more intentional about it. And I think, you know, I think it takes about 17 seconds for a young woman to feel badly about herself scrolling through social media Mm. and that self-comparison that just kicks in so quickly and feels so awful. And you know, it's always been there in our lives. We know self-comparison is the thief of joy, but especially, I think, for young women, when you're, you're seeing it, that party you weren't invited to, and young women are especially, I think, perfectionism is really on the rise, and it's overwhelming, and we hold others to such high standards and ourselves and in, our, in our achievements, but also in our social lives, and we're so unforgiving of ourselves.
1: We'll be right back with more of this interview after this. Pull up a chair and join me,
0: Rachel Campos Duffy. And me, former U.S. Congressman Sean Duffy, as we share our perspective on the discussions happening at kitchen tables across America.
1: Download from The Kitchen Table, The Duffy's at Foxnewspodcasts.com or wherever you download podcasts. So as mentors, um, what can we do to help Younger people that either work for us or that are in our friendship circle or family circle that might be prone to that because I I a l- little bit struggle with how to s- you know, I'm going to say well turn your phone off right <laughs> and I know that that's yeah. actually not that easy because back in 2015 during all the political craziness it was very hard for me to turn the phone off but everything I saw was negative about me and yes it became yeah. like this addiction of like r- trying to read it and and it was. It probably would have been better if I had just turned it off. But for some reason,
0: I couldn't. Well, I think what you're saying is so important. And I think especially like young women are very turned off sometimes by the news and they almost want to become an ostrich and avoidance is what kicks in. And it is sort of maybe I'll just turn it off if you can. But that's not the answer either. You know, so I think, look, it's a reality. It's part of people's lives. Certainly you can limit how and when and where you look at it. When you're in the company of other people, obviously put it away. And as long as you're choosing when you're looking at it, so you're not sort of on, like, it's not on autoplay and you're you're, you're not reactive to it. Like, I'm going to look at it, you know... Every three hours, or I'm going to look at it in a very specific way that you feel in charge about. But also, what's really important is for people, even who are like, you know, feeling bombarded and overwhelmed by negative news, how can you stay connected and informed without, you know, without feeling sort of so paralyzed by it? Is be deliberate about creating positive emotions in your everyday life because research shows that then you're much less likely to feel overwhelmed by it. You're much more likely to feel like you can learn from it. And you're also much more likely to take action as a result of it. So Mm -hmm. being deliberate about those positive emotions Mm -hmm. and those uplifts can really help protect us.
1: Could you explain for uh, listeners who should become readers of this book, uh,
0: the the whoop method, if I'm saying that correctly. Yes, it's really interesting research, and, and it's W-O-O-P, and it, it really helps us because what I really wanted to do with the book is to help people recognize that happiness just isn't in your head. It's really about like the actions you take and the connections you make and how you participate. A lot of it is really in your, how are you embodying what you care about? And WHOOP is something that helps people close that intention action gap because you might know something or think about it, but it's not going to actually translate into behavior. And so the W of Whoop stands for what's your wish? What would you like to do more? Would it be connect more with others, or use your phone less, or go for a walk? What was your wish? Is the W? Then the first O is what would be the outcome of that? You know, how would that make you feel? And to sort of give a moment's thought to that, even write it down. Then the next O is okay. What's the obstacle getting in your way? Is it because I have my phone next to me, you know, all the time, or is it you know that I don't have a plan? You know, I just the day goes by, and then I just feel too exhausted to go for a walk. And then the P is what is your plan to do something about it? So it's really kind of helping you operationalize what you hope for. I really
1: love that. I thought that was great. The other one that um, I noted that I noted down here, um, we've talked a lot about social distancing, but you also talk about Mm, self-distancing.
0: Can you explain that? Absolutely. So one thing that really is, is really, I think, like an on-ramp to depression and anxiety is rumination. Like when we just are so like absorbed in our own feelings and thoughts. And it's that you know sense that it's like the ticker tape on the news. Um, it's going over and over again. It's the same thought in your head. Like, why did I say this? Why couldn't I have done that differently? Or even worrying about something in the future, like, you know, oh, it's all going to go wrong. That negative voice that's inside of you. And self-distancing is some really interesting research that if you can kind of remove yourself and put some distance between yourself and your emotions, you're going to have much a much better perspective. So here's, there are a couple of ways to, to self-distance that might be helpful for your listeners to think about. One is to imagine you're a fly on the wall thinking about this event and w- w- like, how would you describe it? Another way is to... Uh, Imagine that you're giving advice to a friend about how to handle something like like you're going through and imagine you're a friend talking to somebody who's going through that situation. Again, it gives you like a, you know, a 30,000 foot perspective. Another self-distancing technique is to think about your future self looking back, you know, five years from now, how would they see this situation? And another way that I find to be super effective is to think about somebody you really admire, what would they do in this moment? And, you know, I, this isn't a way to sort of not be authentic, um, but I I call it like, instead of like, we are, we're we're given a lot of, you know, advice. You've got to always be yourself. Well, there are many versions of ourselves. And when we're stressed out, we're often into that, like self-focused retreating version of ourselves that might not make the best decisions. So who's somebody you admire, have a, have like a, a, a I always think of like have a buffet of people you admire and who what would they do in this moment? What would Dana Perina do right mm-hmm. now? You know, like yeah. that yeah. is a way to kind of remove yourself from yourself.
1: Am I
0: am I remembering this correctly, that you wrote a letter to Barbara Walters? <laughs> well, no, I was once, you know, I used to get nervous about public speaking and mm-hmm. I would, you know, think I get like my stomach would get all upset. I was like, what do I do? And I'm I'm going to be terrible and you know people give you the worst advice right they're like Samantha, just go and just be yourself mm-hmm. and being myself i would run out the back door you know oh that's be right yeah myself and so i remember um thinking like okay how can i do this and i was giving a talk at like the wpa the world psychiatric association and thinking okay well you know who is somebody i, I admire and i'd just seen barbara walters give this incredible speech and i thought okay what would she do right now? And I wrote in the margins, I scribbled everywhere of my presentation, BW, BW, BW. BW, And thinking, you know, what would she do here? And I've got to say it gave me, it allowed me to tap into confidence. I didn't realize I had.
1: Yes. I think that I love that. I kind of remember that. Then I wrote down Barbara Walters and I thought I wrote letter, but now I see that for me, one of the people that I really admired from afar was Diane Sawyer.
0: Mm, And to to this day
1: I do. In fact, I got to meet her a few years ago and, um, it's it's wonderful when you get to meet people like that and to realize also that they have um, vulnerabilities, right? I met her not long after her husband had died, and you write something that I think is really important and was part of what I wanted to reach, uh, what I wanted to talk about in everything will be okay, and that is that worry and work prevents vulnerability, mm-hmm. and you use yeah. it as a shield. I know that's been true in my own life, but I thought maybe I'd have you explain that a little bit more for people here.
0: Well, I think sometimes we try to like escape, you know, and we throw ourselves into certain domains. And actually I might be, I think of myself as a positive psychiatrist, but actually I think it's very important to process our negative emotions. And there's a lot of pressure for everyone to be happy or, you know, don't worry about that or whatever. And that's not really helpful advice. And, and what, if you can use your negative emotions as data, what can you learn from them? Can they help you regoal in some way? You know, if it's in a relationship or in work, and rather than just trying to run from them, and even worry or fear or anxiety, there's usually something in there. I think that you're you need to learn, but instead of just suppressing it or just kind of thinking, well, I'm just not going to deal with that, and I can bury myself under all this sort of distraction. And it's not really just long term, a productive way to manage it. And like short term, you're like, OK, I got through this. I don't have to deal with that. Just, you know, sweep that one under the rug. But the rug is getting really lumpy sometimes, you know. Mm-hmm. And so how do you kind of manage those negative emotions? And I think it's important to to just not dismiss them.
1: Yes. Um, so this is coming. Your book came out August 10th. Uh, we're we thought we had covid behind us. Not quite so. Uh, some companies have people coming back to the office, but not all. Uh, and w- I wonder about you as a psychiatrist when you see patients. Um, what is it like doing that over Zoom versus doing it in person?
0: It's tough over Zoom, but I've got to say it's better than 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 you know not seeing them. Also, I found that telephone calls have been really helpful. Zoom can be tough to look at oneself and feel you know somehow you know there's a different kind of awkwardness in that like sort of looking at somebody constantly even on the screen and the old-fashioned telephone call can be really really helpful one of the things that's really surprised me about some of my patients who had anxiety before covid began and i was concerned about them was then they they were actually really well equipped to handle a lot of the uncertainties that you know that covid brought with us and they found tremendous strength in being able to give advice and help other friends out. They had go-to strategies to deploy about how to manage a lot of these hassles and anxieties and really found themselves in a position of being a giver. And, you know, one of my patients said to me like, you know, yeah, I'm okay. Like I've been ready for this all my life. You know, like this is what I've been like, you know, prepared for. And right now though, what I'm seeing with a lot of people is there's that sort of as soon as quality, like, well, as soon as this is over, like mm. as soon as this, as soon as that sort of like putting off doing what's meaningful to them and sort of feeling like they're in a holding pattern. And I think the more and more we're learning is like this is our life right now. How are you embodying your values in an everyday way? And I think that's really an important way for you to build what I think of as little R resilience and to give you vitality and to help you sort of manage a lot of these unpredictable, you know, um, you know, things that will keep happening, but in feeling, you know, we're uncertain, but how can you yourself stay strong within your everyday stress? And a lot of it's the opposite of what you think will do it. And we know that not burrowing into yourself, it's really having an other orientation, an outer orientation, you know, and I think of it as what I call like the three C's in the book, it's when you feel like you're connecting meaningfully, when you're challenging yourself in a positive way, and when you feel like you're contributing to something beyond yourself.
1: Wait right there. We'll have more next.
0: So a lot of people that listen to this um, are looking for some
1: career advice or mentoring advice. And we're in this weird period where I've been reading a lot about how people are thinking about their careers and work right now, especially younger Mm. people who are taking some big risks, right? Maybe even quitting their jobs and trying something completely new, thinking that it's time to do that. Um, And I wonder about your thinking in regards to this moment that we're in as people start to wonder about their passion and their work and how do you choose what you want to do or if it's the right time to take a risk? Is there a good way to help assess that?
0: I mean, I think first what we what you were discussing earlier was that idea of that multi generational sort of having a mentor and a mentee. I think having people who you are regularly interacting with, even like almost like a council of elders, and I, but they don't need to be elders. Even they might be younger than you. And usually, you know, those mentor mentee relationships really are, are so are two ways. And I think surrounding yourself with people like that is, is is incredibly valuable to have those conversations and bounce them off of them. The other thing is to think about, I mean, this is what I, what I found to be helpful with people who are making big decisions around what they want to do, is to think of like their top, like what do they value most? And give this some time because it's not something that we actually think about probably all too often in our lives. And you know, whatever that that thing is. Is it learning? Is it contributing to something? What are the, your values? And then think about how you are spending your time and how you want to spend your time. And if you can create more overlap between your values and your work, I think you're going to find yourself in a, like, you're going to be more resilient about what you do and you feel like you're actually walking your walk. And the next thing, if you're making a really big decision, like, should I move to this place? Should I, Should I take that other job or should I leave my job? You know, fast forward into the future and then work backwards. And imagine like, you know, what if it really worked out really well? What would be the reasons connect the breadcrumbs going backwards as to why it worked out well? And then imagine the opposite. Imagine it really wasn't a good outcome. What would be the reasons? What would be those breadcrumbs that would lead you back there? And so you can see these little like decision um, inflection points along the way and kind of try to account for those and not just because sometimes I think we'll want to make a decision and just, you know, be like, oh, everything will be sunny and happy. It'll help you. It will help you sort of think it through and and actually learn from some of the negative emotions as well.
1: What time of day do you like to write? I always like to ask authors this. Like, did you had did you have a preferred area? Um, Sort of paint the picture for me. Like when you were able to sit down and start putting all of the data and analysis into this book, where were you?
0: Oh, it's either, it, I, I was most of the time in New York City and it was either before my kids woke up or after they went to bed. Right, <laughs> I would right. say like, it's like those bookends of the day that, you know, I, I, I always love, I mean, all of people who can just like take 20 minutes and just, you know, work on something, but I need real time chunks to do it. And when I've got peace and quiet. Mm-hmm. And
1: are there any other things that you're reading or that you read this year that you would recommend to folks here? I, I, my listeners tend to be good
0: readers, Oh, yes. Okay. I've got some really good books for you. Wiser um, by Dilip Jeste is a wonderful book about wisdom and not that it's not something just for the elderly about how younger people can be wise. And also I think there's, it could be really helpful to people who are sort of in those inflection points and making career decisions. I think it's a wonderful book to think about kind of boosting wisdom. And he's a neuropsychiatrist and has some really, really good advice on that. I loved Adam Grant's Think Again. Oh, I did too. Mm-hmm. oh it's so good and the whole point wonderful...
1: about confident humility has really stuck with me this year
0: ah uh, one of the best things as a psychiatrist is learning you know uh, uh, needing not not needing to be right and also learning like the beauty of being wrong you know and i always think that idea of like argue as though you're right but listen as though you're wrong and oh wait um, i
1: like that argue as if you're right argue- and listen as if you're wrong huh that's great yeah that's and really we just do need
0: to be humble. Like I think in the face, we, there's so much to learn from others. And I think that that whole idea that you're a know-it-all or you hit a certain place where you've got all the answers. And I think bringing that kind of beginner's mind and that curiosity to every conversation and, and questioning your assumptions. I mean, it really is at the heart of, of psychology, I think, and fulfillment is being of letting go of all those things you know about yourself. And I had this wonderful old psychiatrist who was a teacher um, when I was in medical school. And he said, the purpose of therapy isn't to change your future or your present, it's to change your past. Mm -hmm. And his point was, it's sort of letting go of all those assumptions you have about like, this is who I am. And maybe those are preferences, maybe those are habits, but these ideas that are so dominating about like who we are and and learning to let go of those. And I always thought that was really beautiful.
1: For anybody listening that might be thinking about um, engaging with a therapist or or finding somebody to help
0: them or talk to them, um, any advice for them? Yes, um definitely I mean you know I think it's it's wonderful you know the, the access people have now online I think it's probably is more productive in person but one thing to keep in mind it's okay if you don't like your therapist and I've always thought that you know people will sort of say well I just didn't like you know after two or three sessions well I didn't like that person that's why I'm coming to you and what take a look at that, even talk to your therapist about it, because there's a lot to learn sometimes in that dislike, like what's coming up for you now that you're kind of feeling uncomfortable with this, with this maybe discussion, or you don't really like where this is going. And you can, you know, maybe have something to learn and dig into that. And you can
1: find more um, by Samantha Boardman at it's positive prescription. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Yep. And what, tell me a little bit about that blog and how you think about posting and what people
0: can find there. You know, it was really nice. A friend of mine, Tori Birch, I know you know really well as well. A few years ago, she—I used to always send her, you know, interesting articles in in journals and and you know these science articles. And she would say, like one day, she was like, "Sam, you know what? I love that you send these to me, but I then send them to other people and then to other people. Can you just write about them and put them in a a place to do it?" And I thought, okay, I'll maybe do it. And she said, "No, come into my office next week, and we're going to discuss this, and I'll help you build a website." And you know we need friends like that. I always think happiness doesn't come from within, it really comes from with and having friends who are tailwinds and really hold you to be accountable to like, you know, and they they sort of envision things for you more than others do. And so I really wanted to look at a lot of research that's out there that maybe nobody's reading and only, you know, they say, I think four people on average read a scientific um, article in a journal, and that includes your mother. So to take this research, distill it and, you know, make sure it's actionable and applicable um, for people's everyday lives. And so that's really what positive prescription is about is, you know, this is my issue. What can I do about it? And I, I always think happy happiness isn't in your head, it's sort of in those actions. And so that, that's what—that's really the core of the website and the blog.
1: Well, your enthusiasm for life is so contagious, I feel ready to take on the world. But I really did love learning about your friendship um, with Tori and how how she pushes you. And I think that we all need to think about that a little bit more with each other, Like right? The world is a complicated place. Life is hard. We might already feel too busy. But if you can help somebody stretch a little bit. To get mm-hmm. to that next level, I think that is really important, and I'm sure um, you, I'm sure you do the same for her um, or other friends of yours.
0: Yeah, I think it's it is like it's not just during like those tough times, but friends who actually encourage us to take those opportunities, who are sources of strength in, you know, and, and who are pushing us and envision possibility that we can't necessarily see for ourselves. And I think we sometimes, especially as like, you know, younger people in college or, you know, you it's you're around people all the time. But our friendships are so important for our success. They're even good for our relationships, our romantic relationships is having good friends and So we sometimes I think, uh, you know, we're we're not working at that. We know it's important to, you know, exercise or eat well or get lots of sleep, but we really need to work on those friendships. And, you know, I think the single most reliable contributor to our well-being is our social connections. So how do we kind of, you know, what are we doing every single day to, you know, make, you know, really the most of them?
1: It's truly true. And uh, that came home to me not too long ago. I contacted a friend who um, she's single uh, and COVID has been very, very lonely for her. And it Mm. hasn't been so much for me. Um, I'm married. I have uh, my dog Jasper um, and I've been coming to the office every day. And my job is actually pretty social and and busy. And at the end of our really nice catch up about 45 minutes, she said, you know, her voice cracked. She said, I can't tell you how much it means to me that you called. And I thought, Mm. my gosh, I should have called before.
0: What was yeah. I doing?
1: And so now I have, like, I have this mental checklist of like, okay, so who do I need to check in with and and try to get through those things because we have to show up for each other.
0: Yes. And I think even like sometimes when maybe they don't respond and you text them and you get nothing back, even keep keep doing it. I think just being there for friends, it's almost like being on the other side of the door. Maybe they don't feel like opening it yet, mm-hmm. but knowing that you're there is incredibly meaningful. So just stay there or send me a funny
1: meme because i laugh so hard at those things um i don't know people people are very (laughs) clever people are very (laughs) clever at these memes i think they're hilarious and it those those have become little uplifts for me i have a young woman who used to work for me she's moved um across she's all the way in the middle east now working and but we stay connected by her sending me these hilarious little dog videos and i don't know where she finds them but i'm glad she does I love a good dog video. (laughs) A wellspring of vitality. (laughs) The dogs are definitely helping. Well, Samantha Boardman, the book is fantastic. I absolutely recommend it for everyone. It is called, again, Everyday Vitality, Turning Stress into Strength. And it's invaluable advice and a really great way to live. Thank you so much for joining us today. And we look forward to learning more at Positive Prescription. Samantha is an incredible person with a lot of personality and so much to give, and we were honored to have her on the show. Make sure you subscribe to this series wherever you download podcasts and leave a rating and review. I'm Dana Perino. Everything will be okay.